stuff we are doing today is Ayin Aleph 71, and uh, we pick up at the top, two lines from the top, and we're making our way through this fascinating Mishnah. So the uh, first part of the Mishnah had to do with two witnesses saying it was stolen, it was burgled, and two saying it was slaughtered, which led to this question about Davar and Chati Davar, when a witness has to testify to a whole thing, or can a witness testify to a part of a thing. Then it dealt with selling on Shabbat, that there was no concept of Kimle, because Shabbos is violated in the act of selling, but the more constructed a scenario where Shabbos would be violated in the act of selling and it says that in that case you would not be liable for 4 and 5 because you would say Kimle so you wouldn't have the punishment of 4 and 5 but then it led to the Gemara's interesting question would the principle of Kimle void the sale or not um, and it basically concluded well the Kimle might prevent us from um, enforcing the sale but it wouldn't void the sale to the point that there's a sense of a if the person actually went through with the transaction it would have been considered to be based on the sale and therefore it would be a sale that you'd be liable for four and five. So that was a fascinating discussion about the idea of Kimle voiding some type of an interpersonal transaction, a sale, we discussed a contract and so on. Okay, now we move on to the next part of the Mishnah, which has another case that you pay four and five, um, which is somebody stole it and slaughtered it on Yom Kippur. So, that slaughtering an animal on Yom Kippur is a violation of Yom Kippur, your Chayv Kares. Um, but it's assuming that you're not going to say Kimle because it's not liable to death penalty. So this is the issue that the Gemara turns to. So two lines from the top. Armi, so you should say, am I? Why is it that he's exempt from, um, I mean, why, why is it that he is uh, pays four and five, that we don't say the principle of Kimle when an animal is slaughtered on Yom Kippur? Um, he, the Ketalaleka, admittedly, you're not liable to death penalty, but Malkus Mia Ika, you are liable lashes. Anytime that you're Chayv Kares, if you have a, if you're warned regarding lashes, then the lashes, then you would get lashes. So for a violation of Yom Kippur, you could get lashes. And we should normally say, um, the Kaimalan, the Enoloka Mishalim, you don't get lashes and pay. Now there's a lot of interesting places the Gemara could go here. First of all, it's interesting the Gemara had to go to the lashes discussion. Why didn't it say that Kares is enough of a principle mm-hmm. to override payment? Would you say a principle of Kimle for a divine payment that is not ex- executed by the courts? Right? That's an interesting question. It's a slightly different question than if somebody is high of Misa, but there's no witnesses. Right? There at least it's a type of a, of a sin that would be punished by the courts, but the circumstances are such that the court cannot do the punishment. A type of a sin that would never be punished by the courts, even if it's very weighty, courage, that's an interesting question. Would you say Kimle by that? The other thing the Gemara could have gone to, because since it felt it had to go to the Malchus route, is to say, well, maybe it's only when the person was actually warned about Malchus and is going to get Malchus. This is an issue that we've discussed before. That when it's a sin that you're liable to death penalty, right, that's Tanah Dei Chizkiah, is that it doesn't matter if you did it on B'meizid, B'shogeg, with witnesses, without witnesses. If it's such a weighty sin that you get the death penalty, it overrides, you say, Kimle, it overrides other types of payments. Other types of things, like getting lashes, it could be that it only overrides payments if actually the lashes are going to be administered. So the Gemara could have just said, oh, well, there were no witnesses or there was no warning, and that's why there's not going to be a Kimle. Okay, so there were some places the Gemara could have gone. Okay, but the Gemara does not go there. Let's see where the Gemara goes. Okay, yes? There wouldn't be a punishment, but it would be an, a, a sin deserving of a punishment. So by case where it's a sin deserving of the death penalty, even if there were, were no witnesses and no warning, and even if it was Bishogeg, we would say it would override monetary payments. But when it comes to lashes, we normally say it's only when the, when the punishment is going to be administered. So if the Gemara is saying, well, why when you slaughtered on Yom Kippur did it not uh, override the payment of four and five, one easy place the Gemara could have gone could have said, well, maybe it's a scenario that there was no warning or witnesses or, and so on, and we're not administering the lashes. Okay, and Tosus basically makes that point. But the Gemara isn't going to say that. Okay, maybe it could have. But let's see where the Gemara does go. So the Gemara says, well, how come you're going to, you're not going to say Kimle in this Yom Kippur case? So the Gemara says, Hamani Rebbe Meir. This is going according to Rebbe Meir. Um, the Amar Lokim Mishalim, we know there's a Rebbe Meir position in Makos that says you can get lashes and pay. It's a case about Adim Zomimim, where Rebbe Meir says they'll go both get lashes for violating, you know, Lotaneb, Bereachai, Eid Shaker, testifying falsely, and they will pay if they testified about somebody owing money. So they'll do the payment of a 
and get lashes. Rav Meir says it's possible to get both. And that's why on Yom Kippur the guy will still pay four and five. So Rav Meir says one minute. E Rabbi Meir, if it's Rabbi Meir, I see with Maybe Rabbi Meir, if he's going to say you don't say Kimle by lashes, maybe he'll say you don't say Kimle even by a sin deserving of the death penalty. And we know that our mission is saying on Yom Kippur you pay four and five. But on Shabbos, where there's a Kimle principle, of Chayav Misif, you slaughter the animal, the, mission, the later mission is going to say you're exempt from paying four and five. But if it's Rabbi Meir, maybe you should never say Kimle. So he came, and now let's say you're going to say, like we just said before, there's a huge difference between Chayav Misa and Malkus. What? How do you get from Yom Kippur to not saying Kimle? Well, that's what the Gemara is going to say. Okay, if you're going to say, Rav Meir holds, you can get lashes and pay. Getting the death penalty, that's a completely different category, like we just mentioned a little while ago. So maybe what allows you to say that for a B-Mayor, you would get the death penalty and pay? No, it could work. In our Mishnah, you get lashes and pay, but if it's a Chilu Shabbos, you wouldn't actually get the death penalty and pay, and then you would be exempt from 4-5. Okay, that's a logical distinction, but I'm going to show you a bright uh, that indicates that you wouldn't that according to every mayor you could get the death penalty and still pay four and five Vatanya we taught in the Bryce the low is that not the case Vatanya we taught in the Bryce somebody stole and slaughtered it on Shabbos or stole and slaughtered it to Avodah Zara two things that you are Chayav Misa liable the death penalty or sold, stole a Sharniskal and slaughtered it which is fascinating because presumably Sharniskal is not worth anything but we'll get to Sharniskal in a minute Mishalim Arba Bachamisha, you pay four and five. Brackets are on this call for now. Dibir Rebbe Meir. That's what Rebbe Meir says. So you see, you're paying four and five, even though you're liable to death penalty. So presumably, it sounds like Rebbe Meir doesn't hold of Kimle at all. So our mission can't be going like Rebbe Meir, because our Mishnah holds of it by Shabbos, just not by Yom Kippur. So you're back to having the problem with the Mishnah. But the sages exempt you. They exempt you on the first two cases because of a Kimle, and on the Sharnisko, we'll see. But the most obvious reason is a Sharnisko isn't worth anything. Okay, so the Gemara says. Omri, you can uh, so okay. So now we've got to still deal with this Rebbe Mayor. So Omri, you could say dahi. No, 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 no. That bright, uh, put that bright aside. Bracket that bright. Uh. Okay, why? Because that's not really a principle that you can get the death penalty and pay. There's a different thing going on in that bright. Uh. What's going on in that bright? It uh? was said about it. I'm Rebbe Yaakov. I'm Rebbe Yochanan. I'm Rebbe Yirmiyah. I'm Rebbe Shimon Ben Wachish. Rabbi Avin, Rabbi Ilav, Chokhavrusa. So there's a tradition of people who reported that these other group of rabbis, Rabbi Avin and Rabbi Law, and the whole sort of a community of rabbis, the whole base Madrish, Mishmed Rabbi Yochanan, they all explained this practice in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan, according to his own name? Um, Rabbi Mishmed Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, oh, you're right. Maybe it's the first was just Am Rabbi Yaakov, Am Rabbi Yochanan. And then the second one was Am Rabbi Yirmi, Am Rabbi Shimon Lakish, Rabbi Avi, Rabbi Avin, Chokhavrusa, Mishmed Rabbi Yochanan. You're probably right. Okay, good catch. Yeah, anyway, one group and Rabbi Rishon Right, that's true. But okay, fine. Rabbi, either Rabbi Yochanan says directly, or this whole group says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, one way or the other. Anyway, what are we going to do with this crazy Brayta that says that you pay four and five in the case of a death penalty? So no, no, no it's got to be talking about something else. Amri, that's talking about the following case. Somebody else. Got, Ruvain stole it or burgled it gave it to Shimon and said Shimon turn, you know, he brought it to Shimon the butcher and he said Shimon I want some meat here's my cow okay Shimon didn't know any better he thought it was Ruvain's cow he slaughtered it okay and but you know Shimon wasn't a Shomer Shabbos guy so Shimon slaughtered it on Shabbos okay so it was slaughtered on Shabbos but Ruvain is going to pay four and five because Ruvain is the guy of and Ruvain wasn't the one who was Michal Shabbos okay that's all very nice why we're not going to say Kimlei but the obvious question is why is going to pay four and five. He wasn't the one who slaughtered it. The Torah says, if you burgled it and you sold it, or you burgled it and you slaughtered it, not if you burgled it and gave it to your butcher and had your butcher slaughter it. So that's going to be the next Chiddush. So let's take a look. Can this one sin and this one become liable? How can Shimon slaughter it and Reuven pay four and five? So Amarava, no, Shani here it is possible, because the Pasuk says, and you slaughtered or you sold 
sold it. So man the same way you can't sell something without two people, you need a buyer. So after when you slaughter it, it could also be with another person involved. It could be through a butcher, through somebody else, even if you don't do it personally. Now, this is a very nice, big chiddush. First of all, one wonders, what if you sold it with through an agent? Like, could you have two achers operating by the selling, or is it just by the slaughtering? But okay. But the basic point, though, is, is that, look, you as the Ghana, remember, why are you paying four and five when you sold it and slaughtered it? Is it such a big sin? I mean, you've already stolen the object. Right, exactly. You've already stolen the object from the owner. So, you know, it's not like, I mean, why? Slaughtering somebody's animal, a sin that's worth four and five times? I mean, so the point is, as the Gemara said before, no, it just shows how much you are repeating your sin or setting roots in how much you're entrenching your sin. So the point could be there at that stage it's not so much a question whether you did it personally or not the fact that even you caused it to be done right was a furthering of what you did you stole it and you got it even further away from the owners okay so maybe because it focuses the actual sin was the original thing this is just putting roots into it you know or just you know you know underscoring it so maybe it's not so critical you're the one that does it it's enough that you had it done now if somebody came along and slaughtered your animal without your permission obviously you would not be but you don't have to do it personally it's just that you had it done okay which in a certain way also makes sense like is everybody a shochet so you know I mean what do we think when the Gemara says if you steal it and slaughter it do we really think it means that you happen to be a shochet I mean it's a pretty reasonable point that included in that would mean I stole it and I got my butcher to slaughter it so well right that's a question by Bismila so what what well that's exactly what the Gemara says but the answer is yes the answer is Shani Hacha that this is not a Shriach here the Torah says this is the way in which you are Chayav whether you do it personally or whether you have someone do it for you okay that's exactly I think what the Gemara's answer is right he's still Chayav for Chil Shabbos but the point is it's not the sin of slaughtering you pay four and five it's the sin of Nishtano and Nishtarish Bechet through slaughtering and selling and that can be even through having somebody do it for you okay so that's the big Chiddush here Alright, so now we un- ah, so that makes sense. This bright that Rebbe Mayer says you pay four and five, um, even on Shabbos, is that somebody else, oh, thank you, is that somebody else was doing it for you. Okay, and that's why it has nothing to do, of course, why didn't you just say that? Say if you have somebody else do it for you. Alright, whatever. But we, we, we're going to bracket that idea. Nobody's going to say you're going to be Michal Shabbos personally and pay four and five. And now the bright that says that if you do it on, on Yom Kippur, you pay four and five, that's Rebbe Mayer's position that he would say you get less lashes and you can pay you won't get mis and pay but you can get lashes and pay alright so now the Gemara says like this what, what uh, happens if the uh, agent also is aware that this is a crime that uh, that uh, wouldn't change things I mean how, how should it change things you mean that then you should say that you shouldn't be high for and five because he shouldn't have done it at all no presumably that won't change anything okay so the Gemara says like this um Okay. The Bay Rabbi Shmel Tana, the House of Rabbi Shmel, we taught. Oh, the Rabbi Tatashaliach. Another way to get that you can, even if you sell it or slaughter it through another person, not by the linking to selling, but by the word oh. It could have said utvacho umicharo. And it says omicharo means even in some other fashion. I don't know exactly how we get that. Okay. Um. Um, thank you. Okay, so the tachas somehow means maybe somebody ask, acting tachas you in your stead. I don't know again exactly get it, but somehow there was a sense. You know, it seems like they started with this understanding that even if you did it through someone else, and we found different ways to darshan it. Okay, Marcus Marzutra. So Marzutra asked, Niga Midi, one minute, one minute, said Marzutra. I don't get it. The, the butcher did it on Shabbos. You're going to pay four and five. So, one minute. Niga Midi, had you been the one to do it on Shabbos, you wouldn't pay because we would say Kimlei. The Avi Shriachamachayev. So even if you say that if somebody does it for you, you're Chayev, how can they be more Chayev than you would have been had you been done, done it personally? So if you did it personally, you'd be exempt because it's Shabbos. How could they're doing it make you Chayev? So the Gemara says, what I think is an obvious answer, if you would have done it personally, it's not because fundamentally 
that would not have been something that would have created a liability of four and five. Your slaughtering it fundamentally would be an act that would have lot make you liable four and five. Ella, the king lived the There would have been some other thing which would have which would have voided it. Okay? So but fundamentally you as the Ghanav, if you slaughter it, you're high four and five. If you do it in certain circumstances, you're gonna void the payment. But that doesn't mean that somebody else, you know, if, if they can do it for you and be high four and five, just like you would have been high four and five. And then it's just a circumstance in which the voiding doesn't take place because you're not being Michal Shabbos at that moment. Okay. Now the Gemara says like this. Five. So we've got it. The Brita that says you pay four and five when you do it on Shabbos is because you did it through a Shaliach. The Bimeyer still holds that a normal case of Chilu Shabbos you wouldn't pay four and five. The Mishnah that says you pay four and five on Yom Kippur is Rebbe Meir. But Rebbe Meir says for lashes you will pay four and five, not for Misa. And again, the Brisa is talking about a case that you did it through somebody else. So now we've somewhat explained the Mishnah. Let's go back and explain this Brisa. What is the why are the Chachamim debating Rebbe Meir if we're talking that you did it through an agent and you did it on Shabbos? Now the easiest thing to be today would be maybe the Chachamim don't hold of this idea. Maybe they hold that if you did it through another person, you're exempt. Has nothing to do with Shabbos. Okay, but the Gemara now that it's introduced this idea that you're chai four and five through another person wants to assume that that's agreed between Rebbe Meir and the Chachamim. So then why do the Chachamim say you're exempt? So let's take a look. Um, so if you're doing it through another party and this and you could be chayef four and five through another party so um, you, my time is the Rabbanan Depatri why did the Rabbanan exempt you? so what if it's done on Shabbos? you weren't Michal Shabbos the butcher was Michal Shabbos and if you could be chayef through the butcher why are you would be exempt? so Amri man chachamim Rebbe Shimon who are the chachamim here that exempt you? it's Rebbe Shimon now this actually is a nice answer. It sounds like a little bit of a kvetch because you got, went from Shabbos to Shechita Shein Ruiyah. But you remember the Brayta talked about three scenarios. Slaughtering it on Shabbos, slaughtering it on Yom Kippur, excuse me, slaughtering it to Avodah and slaughtering the Shor Hanisko. So the first two sounds like a Kimle issue. The third sounds like something else. So what the Gemara has actually said is it's made all three being the same thing. All three of them is a slaughtering that doesn't make the meat permissible. It has nothing to do with Chil Shabbos. It has nothing to do with Kimle. It has to do with the fact when you shech something to Avodah you make it a Tikrovitz Avodah something offered to Avodah which is forbidden in Hana. When you shech to Shonisko, you can't eat it. Now when you shech something on Shabbos, we're about to look at, there's also a principle. You can't benefit from Achil Shabbos. So the Gemara is actually saying, alright, so we'll see about that. But the Gemara is saying now a very nice, elegant answer. You know, don't get distracted with the Chil Shabbos here, with the whatever. This is not about Kimlei. Forget Kimlei. Somebody else did it. The butcher did it. Okay, it's not about Kimlei. This whole Breitah is about the fact that when you slaughtered it, you didn't make the meat fit to be eaten. And Rabbi Meir says, I don't care, it's still an act of slaughtering. And the Chachamim say, like Rabbi Shimon, Shechita she'en aruya if it did not make it fit to be eaten, you're not liable. Okay, now let's look at these scenarios. So let's take a look. Um, the Gemara says like this, um, Amri, Bishleim Avodah Zarah, the Messiah says, look, I get it. It works for Avodah Zarah. For Shohanisko. And the Shohanisko. Shechita Shein Ruyi. The Shechita is not fit. It doesn't make the meat fit to be eaten. El Shabbos, Shechita Ruyi. But by Shabbos, the meat can be eaten. Titnan, we taught in the Mishnah. Okay. Hashochet B'Shabbos. Exactly the case of Shechita. Yushechta on Shabbos. Shechita. Ubi Yom Kippur. Ar Yom Kippur. Avodah Yemin Chai Benafso. Although you're liable, you know, the death penalty the shchit is still kosher. The meat is kosher to be eaten. So therefore, how do you make it a test of shchit shenevuya? So he says no. Amri, you could say several like Reb Yochanan Asandler. He holds like Reb Yochanan Asandler. None. Hamavasha b'Shabbos. Let's do another case of chul Shabbos. Somebody cooks on Shabbos. B'shogi Yochal. If it's an unintentional violation, he can eat it. Even he himself can eat it. And Rashi says, even on the day itself, there's a whole debate of the Rishon, because not all the parameters are spelled out here, but we'll read it like Rashi. Either the person himself can eat it, Peshogeg, even on the day itself. The Mezid lo yochal. He remer. But if it's a Mezid, then he, he nor Rashi says, anybody, nobody can eat it on the day itself. Afterwards, you can eat it, but on the day itself, it can't be eaten. That's what Rashi reads. That's what Remeir says. Okay, so whether Shogeg or Mezid, whatever, that would be limited to the question of eating it on the day itself, according to Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Yehuda Omer, Shogeg, Yochel B'Motzei Shabbos. It was Shogeg, you, 
or other people, again, according to Rashi, you know, could eat it after Shabbos. Nobody can eat it on Shabbos itself, but it could be eaten after Shabbos. But Mezid, it was Mezid, lo yochol olamis. You, the violator, can never eat it. Other people can, but you can't. Okay, so Rabbi Yehuda, again, he, he brings, you know, he extends it for the Mezid guy, he extends it to apply, it would apply even after Shabbos for the violator, and it would apply forever. All right, but that still would not make it a shkita shen ruya, because other people could eat from it. Rabbi Yonah Sandlerom, and that's for Rabbi Yonah Sandler that we get it to be a shkita shen ruya. The shogeg yeyachel emotzei Shabbos lachem below low. If it was unintentional, after only after Shabbos can it be eaten, and only by other people on Shabbos nobody can eat from it. Okay, so shogeg is still a shkita ruya for Rabbi Yonah Sandler. At least other people can eat it after Shabbos. But the mazid, if it's a willful violation, nobody can ever eat from it not the violator nobody else for you have a scenario of a shechita shein ruya it was done intentionally nobody can eat from it so that would be how this would work and they would all be cases of shechita shein ruya one minute so the Gemara says my time at Rabbi Yochanan what's his reasoning like Rabbi Chia expounded by the doorstep of the house of the Nasi you should observe the Shabbos ki kodesh yilachem it is holy to you so ma kodesh asr b'achila the same way sanctified things are forbidden to be eaten even things that are done on Shabbos so Shabbos is sanctified somehow that means that not only the day of Shabbos is sanctified but a violation of Shabbos somehow sanctifies the food or makes the food off limits okay it's an interesting drasha so let's take the, the drasha to the fullest extent you're not allowed to even get benefit from anything that's Kodesh let's say you can't even get benefit why does it say don't eat the food okay presumably it's only forbidden to be eaten okay but you give it to your dog why does it well, it's presumably you can get benefit why don't we treat it like full Kodesh and say you can't get any benefit but it still remains yours to some degree so you can get some benefit but at least it's off at least you can't eat it now maybe I should say even on Shogeg these laws should apply and you shouldn't be able to benefit from it the end of the Pasuk is right, those who violate it will be put to death this context is willful violation not unintentional okay. well it's also that's most humas so clearly we're dealing about willful violation um, so anyway so the Gemara so Rabbi the Gemara assumes that of course Rabbi Man, Rabbi Huda, who say differences between you and others on Shabbos after Shabbos that's all like a Durabanan Knas or a disincentive for violation of Shabbos if you know you won't be able to benefit from it but Rabbi Yonah Sandler seems to learn it out as a Doraita and seems to say that, that it completely becomes Doraita forbidden to be eaten which gets to another Gemara an interesting discussion should we learn from here or should this be seen as an application of a more general principle that any violation of a, of a prohibition the produce of that violation would become forbidden to be eaten. Like we know that that's not true, right? Like you can make cross, you can crossbreed uh, fruit and eat the fruit, right? That's like uh, what, what are tangelos and whatever, you know, that could be a violation of kilayim. But nevertheless, there are times when a violation, the produce of the violation is forbidden. And here we have a specific pasuk. So the Gemara says, for Yochanan and that's the debate that's going on. So the Gemara says, one minute, we're not done yet. So the Gemara says, Ravach of Ravina. Now, the, sco- the position of Rabbi Yochanan Sandler, the scope is a debate, or not the scope, the weight is a debate of, Rav- of Ravach of Ravina. Chadamar Meister Shabbos Torah, say to be able to call him this drush is a real drush up. Chadamar Meister Shabbos Torah, no, it's Torah, it's only in Asmachdi, even for Rabbi Yochanan Sandler. So, if it's Torah, it works. Because then it's a real Shrita Shina Ruya on a Torah level, whether it's Avodazar, whether it's Chorhanizkal, or whether it is Shabbos, according to Rabbi Yochanan Sandler, and that's why you would not be liable, according to Rabbi Meir. Um, excuse me, according to the to, to the Rabbanan. Of Mandam Rabbanan, but the one that says it's Rabbanan, um, what does he do with the pasuk? Amarkra Kodesh he he Kodesh Kodesh. He says the opposite. Only Shabbos is Kodesh, not the things that were created as a produce of Shabbos. So good. So Bishim Lamandam Adoraisa. If it's Doraisa, 
Amtu lahachi. Once you have that, come with that position, pat lahachi, pat rabbanan. Now we understand what the debate is. It's a shchita shena ruya. Rabbi Meir isn't bothered by that. He says you're liable four and five. The rabbanan say you're exempt. They say whether it's a vodizara shor and iskol or shabbos. All these things are biblically you can't eat from them. At least shabbos going for abdochanam asandler, and therefore you're not high for four and five. Elaman the rabbanan, but the one that says that even according to Rabbi Yochanan asandler, it's only rabbinically forbidden. Amai patri rabbanan. Why do the rabbis say you're exempt from four and five if Shabbos is fit to be eaten? So the Gemara's answer is Ashara. Fine, when they say you're exempt, they don't mean on everything that Rabbi Meir said. Rabbi Meir said you're liable for three things. Shabbos, Avodazar, and Shoranisko. I remember saying you're putter, but they meant you're putter on the last two, not on the first one, which is a pretty weak read, because then why did the Brighter, you know, put them all together? Okay? But anyway, we do have a fascinating Brighter, where it starts with something that sounds like a Kimlei, Avodazar, and Shabbos, and then it throws in a Shoranisko. Okay? So the Gemara, to get out of the idea that there's a Rebbe Mayer that says you don't say Kimli with Chai of Nisa says we're talking about a third party there's no Kimli <laughs> why do the Rabbanon disagree? it could have said the Rabbanon don't buy into this idea of maybe they think that if a third party does it that makes you exempt regardless of Shabbos but the Gemara is now working with the assumption that everybody says if it's done by a third party you're liable so the reason the Rabbanon would say here that you are exempt it is saying is not about about Kimle, there's no Kimle, it's through a third party. It's because of Shrita Shena Ru'iyah. The Shrita doesn't make the meat permissible. By Shabbos, that's debatable whether that would apply or not, so maybe they're not referring to the Shabbos case. Charlie, you had a question from before. Oh, excellent. Okay, so now the Mercedes like this. Rabbi Mayer. Now we're going to have a fun, we're going to work through all these three cases. So we're a little bit putting aside our problem before about Yom Kippur and Kimle. Somehow we've answered that, that that's Rebbe Meir, and you don't say, who doesn't say Kimle by a case of Malchus. Now we're going to work through the three cases. Shabbos, Avodazara, and Shahanisko. So Shabbos we did. It's not Kimle because it's Ayyadei Achir. Is it Shitar Shein Maybe yes, maybe no. Depends on Rebbe Yochan and Hassan, or if it's Dorais or Dorabana. Good. Now let's get to Avodazara. That seems to be a clear to case or Shrita Shainaruya. Right? It doesn't make the meat permissible. Rabbi Meir says, I don't care, you're still Chayav. And the Rabbanon say, No, it doesn't make the meat permissible, you're exempt. So the says, one minute. I don't understand why you would be Chayav according to Rabbi Meir, even if Shrita Shainaruya is called a Shrita. Why not? Why you asra? As soon as you started shechting it, you started you made a nick in the neck of the animal with your knife. You made it forbidden. Why? Because what makes something forbidden to avodazara? It's not a halacha that you have to do shechita on an animal to make it forbidden to avodazara. If you bow down and worship an animal, you make it forbidden to avodazara. The only thing is the following: is that any act of worship to the animal or using the animal as a way of offering it to a you know to a pagan god is an act that makes it forbidden the only thing is is that if it's not your animal then you can't make somebody else's thing forbidden just because you bow down to it right I mean you know you could imagine somebody who's <laughs> who wants to you know I mean I guess if he's willing to do Avodazar he'd be willing to do other things anyway okay but that's not true it's, you, don't, you don't have a right to, 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 to assign a status to give change the status of something that isn't yours just because you somehow did some, something that didn't even affect the object in a physical way. But, as soon as you actually make a... Sort of like the Gemara before about the... Remember about the Ganav and the Shinar Hashem and when he trimmed it and even if he didn't have to trim the leather, once he was sort of taking control in that way, he was in a position to designate it. So here too, if I bow down to your animal, I don't make it forbidden. But if I offer it to the God, if I just put it on an altar, I actually haven't physically changed it. Okay? But if I make a nick in it as a way of offering it up to the God or as designating it as my, you know, as, as, you know, as, as, as the object of my worship, I would make it forbidden. Once I actually physically change it, then I am taking enough control that my act of worshiping it or offering up as an, as an offering makes, you know, is meaningful. 
Okay, I have enough control that I can give it its status, and therefore I make it forbidden. So what the Gemara says is, look, the shechita that makes you higher for four and five comes when you finish the act. Okay, the thing that makes it an object of of offering to the avodah is the first nick, because then you've taken control over it. Okay, so so by the time you're done with the shechita and you should be liable to four and five, the object's already worthless, right? It becomes worthless as soon as you do the first nick, and then you, it only becomes an act of shechita when you're done. So at that stage, you're shechting something that is asr behana. So why should you pay the owner? The thing is worthless at that stage. Okay? It doesn't matter or yourself. Let's say so we don't have to deal with the kimli problem. But that's not the focus right now. We're bracketing that. Okay, but the says this is worse than shechita shinaruya. Shechita shinaruya until I finished the shechita, it was totally a normal animal of the owners, okay? And I was doing a shechita, and at the last moment when I was high four and five, that was maybe the moment I turned it into, you know, it, be, it, it was a trace and it became not fit to be eaten, or something like that. Or it was a violation of Shabbos and became not fit to be eaten. It all happened at the moment that the shechita was done. So you could say, okay, but the act of shechita was done to the owner's animal, okay? But here, the act of shechita, the first second, okay, it became Asr Behana. And something else about not number one is often considered in certain ways not even belonging to the owner, and it's certainly worthless. So by the time you finish the act, you're shechting something that's worthless and doesn't, in some ways, doesn't belong to the owner. So how are you chayev? Yes. You see something more about about um, chilul shabbos. That the first nick is chilul shabbos. I mean, no, because the chilul shabbos, the malach of chilul shabbos, is nitilus neshama, is shechita. Okay. Now you could interesting question. Could you say that there's a chavala that occurs before the shechita is done? So maybe you could. But the Gemara somehow wasn't bothered with that, which is fascinating, right? What type of a taking out of blood would be considered a mas achil shabbos? Is it, you know, at a certain stage? But yeah, you could ask that. Now, Tosa asks a great question. Tosa says, I don't get it. Every shechita is that way. From the moment you begin shechting it, you did a shinoi, and it's your animal, and then by the time you're done, you're shechting your animal. So Tosa says, well, maybe it's not a big enough shinoi until you're done. Although I would think that the better answer is like, okay, but that's like the necessary circumstances in which the Torah says you're chayav. Okay, we have to bracket that part, the shinoi part. But if there's something else that makes a change in its status before you're done, then you shouldn't be liable at the time that you're finished. Okay, so that's the Gemara's question. Dove, it looks like you have a question. No? <laughs> With the Bahachi Chive Rahmana distinction? That's a standard answer. Like, you know, you, you know otherwise you couldn't be chayav. So the Torah has to, has to bracket that reality. Right? But, you know, but it's not bracketing all realities. Okay? Yeah, you want it to be consistent. I hear that. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Once you finish the act, it's already forbidden in Nanan. You're not checking something that belongs to the owner. Okay, interesting phrase that it doesn't belong to the owner. You know, Rashi tells us both also throw in the idea that it's not worth anything. Amar Rava says Rava, Okay, so what you say is, I am not actually worshipping it, if the act of Shkita is an act of worship, which would be funny, or I'm actually not doing this as an act of worship, an act of offering this to the God, except with the, when I finish the Shita. The beginning should not be considered the act of worship, only the finish. So it all comes at the same time. Right. Right. Exactly. Like even if you're brought it in front of the altar, presumably the act of worship is the slaughtering of it, not the beginning of the process. I would agree with that. Okay. So the Gemara says, um, Shoraniska. Fine. So now we dealt with the Avodazar case. Let's move on to the Shoraniska case. So Shoraniska says the Gemara. Forget this fancy idea of beginning of the act, end of the act. How are you ever hired for Shoraniska? The thing is worthless. Why should? Fine. Four and five times zero is still zero. Like you know. And if it's Yisrohana, then we, you might also be the idea that doesn't belong to the owner. How do you ever have a chiyah for, for, for Shohanifko? Forget, you know, Shita Shainaruya. So, Shohanifko, Yisrohana, that's forbidden in benefit. You're slaughtering something which effectively doesn't belong to the owner. How is it that you're paying for it? It's worth nothing. So, Amarava, how am I asking him what are you talking about? The original owner gave their ox, which was not yet a Shohanifko, to a Shomer. Okay? The when it was in the house of the Shomer, it killed somebody and it was became a Shoranisko. For who had the Vais Shomer? And it was uh, warned in the house of the Shomer, or testified against it, not really warned, because the Shoranisko is the first time. The Ningmer Dinab of Vais Shomer. And the base in Paskin, while it was in the house of the Shomer, that it was a 
Isur Haniska. Now, why is all that relevant? It's still a worthless animal. Because, Rabbi Meir Savala Kareb Yaakov is really Karebi Shimon. He holds like a Rabbi Yaakov position and like a Rabbi Shimon position. Okay, not, 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 not. What, what are these two positions? Savala Kareb Yaakov, he holds like Rabbi Yaakov, the Amar, Avmi Shadin Merdino, Hechdir Shama Labayli Muchsa. Even after it's been decreed to be a Shor and it's worthless, the Shama can go back to the owner and say, oh, Here's your cow back. Okay, oh, too bad. It's Hashem Behana, whatever. But I gave you your cow back. It looks the same. Right? That's that old question of Hareisha It looks the same. It's sort of like a, you know, a Hezek Shainu Nikar. There's nothing physical different about it. Can I say my obligation was to give it back? I gave it back. I didn't promise it would be worth the same amount. It's worth nothing, but I'm giving you back the object you gave me. So we're going to start by assuming the Shomer could say that. Okay? So if the Shomer could say that, this object, this, uh, this ox that's Hashem Behana is worth a lot of money to the Shomer, right? Because if the ox is alive, the Shomer gets off of his $10,000 liability to the owner. He gives it back. If it's dead, he has to pay the owner for the value of the ox. Okay? So even though the ox is worth nothing, and nobody can derive any benefit from it, to the Shomer, it's worth its full value. Alright? So we start with the idea that the Shomer could give it back to the owner. The Savarlach, Rebbe Shimon, and he holds like Rebbe Shimon, to Amar, Dabar Gun Lamam, and Kamam Dami. Something that would lead to a loss of money is treated like money. Even though the Shomer doesn't own it, and even though it is valueless on the open market, because for the Shomer, its loss would cause a $10,000 loss, it is like the Shomer's $10,000 object. Okay? Where do you know Rabbi Shimon says this? Not. It's not in the Mishnah. If I am liable for sacrifice, I have to bring a chatas, and I sanctify my animal as a chatas. Now, if that animal is a chatas, if you steal hektish, you're, you're not your potter, right? But if you burgle it from my house, according to Rebbe Shimon, you have to pay me kefel. Why? Because since I would have to replace it, I'm chay and I didn't just say haray zeh. If it's not around, I have to replace it. Taking it from me is causing me the full loss of that object. So even though technically it's not mine and it's hectish's, and technically it's not its full value because, you know, people wouldn't pay for it on the open market, but for me, it's worth that amount of money. So for me, it's like my object that has that value. Okay? Kadim Zechaibach, you said Chayev, you're Chayev. Alma, you see, Okay, so now we got this brilliant combination. Number one, the Shomer could return the Shor according to Rebbe Yaakov. And number therefore, if you steal it from the Shomer, you have taken from the Shomer something that was worth $10,000 from the Shomer, although it's Usher Behana, it's treated like his money and like his property, worth that amount of money. And therefore, you have to pay him Kefel. And you'd also have to pay him even four and five. Because once it started by the idea that it was considered like his, then the Shechita would also make you just a multiplier of that and make you high four and five as well. And the only reason that the Rabbanu would say your putter is because it's a Shechita Shein Ru'uya. Because it's not considered an act of Shechita. Okay, an act of Mechira you would be high for. Okay, but that's how we get around the problem that it's worthless and nevertheless you could be liable. So the Gemara says, I said over this discussion in front of Rav Zvid, Minarda. And he said, How could you say our Mishnah is like Rabbi Meir and not like Rabbi Shimon? Meaning, the Rabbi Meir of, who says, uh, what do you call it? The Rabbi Meir who says uh, that, um, that you would say, you know, we're going back. Forget, right, the Brighton we just said, well, we had focused in on the Brighton, but let's go back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, that Rabbi Meir says, that you, the Mishnah says, that if you do it on Yom Kippur, you're Chayev. And the Gemara says, why? Because this is the position of Rabbi Meir that says that you can get lashes and still be Chayev. Okay? But one minute. V'haktani Sefer, the end of the Mishnah says, Rabbi Shimon Shimon exempts in the cases of, like, Chulin, uh, Bazar, and Trefa. That's, again, this idea of, you know, Shechita, Shein, Ru'uya. Okay? So if Reb Shimon is exempting at the end of the Mishnah by Shkita Shein Ru'uya, um, Presumably he didn't have any quarrel with the first half of the Mishnah 
So, again, we get back to the Yom Kippur case. How can you say the Yom Kippur is only a Rebbe Mayer position? The, there's a dissenting voice at the end of the Mishnah of Rebbe Shimon, which sounds like the first part of the Mishnah is uh, universally agreed upon. So, uh, we're back to the problem. How does everybody agree to this Yom Kippur idea? So the Gemara says, I'm a late love. No, he's not agreeing to the first half of the Mishnah. What, you have to be discussing the whole Mishnah? He's saying, the end of the Mishnah talked about four scenarios. Shechting it for health, shechting it for dog food, shechting it for, and it was a trade for shechting it, and it was Chul and Bazara. And Reb Shimon says, those, of those four, I disagree with the last two. The first two, you're chayev, because it can be eaten, even if you're choosing to give it to your dog. But the last two, you're not chayev, because it halachically can't be eaten. But he's only discussing that last set of cases nobody's talking about the beginning of the Mishnah so again how do you explain the beginning of the Mishnah that, for Rebbe, that you are liable for Shechting on Yom Kippur whatever happened to the Kimle and the one is once again saying that is Rebbe Meir that says you can get lashes and pay okay the funny thing is that the simpler answer the Gemara could have said which it says in other places is we're not talking that you, we're talking that you didn't do it benazid, or we're talking you didn't do it with witnesses and warning and maybe the idea of lashes is only when the lashes are actually going to be administered Okay, so that would have been a different answer, but whatever reason, the Gemara isn't going there, and it's making the first part of the Mishnah Rebbe Mayer. And then we have this very fun exploration of this Breita of Shabbos of Orzara and, um, and Sharnisko, which the Gemara first said, whatever happened to Kimle, and introduced this important idea that you're high of poor four and five, even if you do it through another person, you give it to your butcher, so that gets out of Kimle. The reason there that those other things therefore are debated are because of Shrita Shena Ru'uya. So first it meant saying that Shabbos could be a case of Shrita Shena Ru'uya, because like Rav Yochanan Sandler, that could be a Doraisa. And then it got us discussing, forget Shrita Shena Ru'uya, how you chayev by Yisurei it's not worth anything. So by Avodah we had a case where you delayed the status till the end, and by Sharnisko we had this fascinating issue where it was Yisurei but for this Shomer that you stole it from, it was worth money, and therefore for him, you, it's going to be treated like it actually does have value. I want to say one other point about that last thing. Tosos asks a question. Tosos says, one minute. Look at this first line of Tosos. This was Rebbe Mayer. So Tosos says, Tema. Lamali, Lamema just have Grim Shimon. Why do I have to say Rebbe Meir? Hosar Grim Shimon about this Davar Goyim Lamamon. Lamed Rebbe Meir Latame, the Don Dini de Garmi. Let's say Rebbe Meir goes according to his reasoning. Rebbe Meir judges cases of Garmi. Now, what's Garmi? You might remember Garmi is, let's say I burn your uh, IOU documents. Okay? So, fine, I'll pay you for the paper. But the point is, but you, you know, you lost out hundreds of thousands of dollars. But that was only indirect. I didn't actually destroy the money. I just, you know, destroyed the documents. Documents don't have a market value, okay? But Garmin says, look, you caused that loss. It, it was not... It was it was pretty direct. It was it was technically it was it was a grama, but it was very close to being a direct effect of a loss. That's called gummy. We're going to make you pay. So Tosa Tos says, well, isn't that the same? If you're causing a loss, you have to pay. Wouldn't that be the same principle that if I stole this thing from the shomer, I should be chayiv kefil to the shomer because I'm causing him this loss? How is garmi different than gorim lamamon? They both sound the same, causing a loss of money. Okay, but here's the answer. Tosa really says this answer in the last line. Okay, but I'll t- but it says, Garmi is a principle in the first half of Babakama. Garmi is a principle of Mazik. If I stole this, if, if I stole this cow from the Shomer, maybe I would have to pay him. I'd pay him as a Mazik. I caused him a loss. And if it was a, a close enough causation, I would pay him. But that doesn't mean I would pay him Kefel. Going with Mammon is not saying, oh, you caused a loss, you caused injury, pay for the damage you caused. That's what Garmi is. Garmi is a principle in Mazik. Going with Mammon is a principle in ownership. Goring Lamaman is saying, because the loss of this animal would cause you a loss of money, it is like you own the animal. And it's like the value of the animal is the amount of loss it would cause you. So therefore, Garmi can never lead to paying Kefel. Garmi just says, you pay for the damages. Goring Lamaman says, you are the owner of this animal, and its value is the loss, the value that it would, the, law, the value of the loss that would incur occur to you, you know, you would incur as a result. So very interesting, two similar principles, but have very different implications. Okay, let's now go back to the Gemara. Somebody stole from his father 
and he slaughtered it, and then the father died. Okay, he's already high four and five. End of story. Okay, but it's going to be contrasted in another Mishnah to he stole from his father, then the father died, so he inherited part of it. Let's say there are other brothers. He inherited part of it, and then he slaughtered it. In that case, he didn't slaughter something that was not totally his, it was partly his, so in that case, he's going to be exempt. Okay, but if first he slaughtered it, and then the father died, he would be liable. Alright, so let's take a look at the Gemara. If somebody stole an ox owned by two, owned by two partners, and he slaughtered it, and then he went to one of them and he admitted, and we're assuming that if you admit to a knas, not only do you not pay, but you get out of payment even if witnesses show up later. Okay? So he admitted to one, so one of them is only a half owner. So we're assuming that that admission um, gets him out. The admission is not to a court. You could have said the admission is to a court. If you admit to a class, you're admitting to the court. Okay? But the Muslim, the admission is to the person you're liable to. And therefore, it gets you out of your liability to that person. Okay? Not to the whole liability of the case. Okay? This is an interesting idea. Normally, if you think the idea of knas putter means if you admitted it in court, the court won't impose the punishment. But here it seems like, no, no, no. You admitted it to the person you're liable for, for and therefore you're exempt to that person. Okay? So you admitted it to that person um, um, which also raises an interesting question where did, does the admission have to occur in court can the admission occur outside of court with witnesses seeing that you admitted it and so on okay so those are a lot of interesting questions about the parameters of what type of admission exempts you from it but we're anyway assuming that you have that scenario where you're now exempt to that person but still liable to the other person for his half so he says like this what's the halacha do you still have to pay the other person five times half of the animal Hamisha Bakar Amar 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 Rahman it says five cattle the low Hamisha Chatsay Bakar not five half cattle right if you stole a half of a cow if you could imagine stealing half a cow you wouldn't have to pay the Torah only says you're when you steal a whole cow and a whole sheep so maybe you only have to pay five whole cows and five whole sheep not five half cows okay the low Hamisha Chatsay Bakar Odiyama no, five times, and it means five times half of the liability. Okay, it's funny, like, you know, where, where, where do you begin answering this question? Like, what's in the puzzle to tell you one way or another? So the Gemara says, I'm a lay. So he said, It's funny, like, what, what's the basis of that answer? Okay, that's what the puzzle says. Five cattle, only if you're paying five whole units, now if you're paying five half units. Because he's only, that's what I was saying, he's only moda biknas to, to, for half of the knas. He was only moda to one owner. He has to be the other owner, right. That's the chiddis, that You don't say, look, you admitted to the act, you're totally exempt. It's seen as an admission to the party you're liable to. So it was only admission to, you know, one, for, to somebody for half of the liability, but he never admitted to the other half of the liability to the person he was liable for. So that liability still exists. Okay, but now it's going to say, even if the liability still exists, you're not going to have to pay it. Because it only says five full units and not five half units. Okay? So, that's his answer. Ace So let's see if we can test this out. He stole from his father, slaughtered, and then his father died. You still you have to pay. One minute. Since the father died, you now became a part owner in this cow with your brothers. Okay? This dead cow, whatever. Or any money owed to your father, you, it's now partly owned, owed to you. Okay? So, if you are one of the people this four and five is owed to, well, you're implicitly already admitting to yourself what you did, because you know what you did. Which is also fascinating. Like, I might think admission has to come through an act of admitting. Like, a lot of times, anyway, people lie to themselves regardless, right? Oh, my father owed me it. He did some bad things to me. I had a right to... <laughs> Just because you know what you did doesn't necessarily mean that we call it halachically an act of admission. But the Gemara assumes that it's, it's like you've admitted to yourself, because you won't have to pay yourself, and therefore, you're only liable the remaining 80% to your brothers. So that's half payments, okay? So, maybe it doesn't mean it's like you admitted. Maybe all it just means is you're not going to pay yourself. It's not like you're admitting and getting out of it, but in practice, you're not going to take out of one pocket and put it into the other pocket. You're not going to pay yourself for your portion. You're only going to pay your brothers for their portions. So you're not going to pay a full 
full five times. You're going to pay 80% of five times. You're only going to pay your brothers. You're not going to pay yourself. So you see, you can pay four and five, even if you're not paying a full four and five. So like the Gemara, remember, kofer velochasi kofer, some other type of thing. You had a question? Who are you money to? Your brothers. You owed them, a guy owed the money to his father. Father died. The brothers inherited money owed to the father. Right? Each one would get, if there were, if there were, if, let's ignore the idea of Bukhor. Let's say there were two, two other brothers. So they would get 66% of the father's money owed the father. And you would keep the, the other. So you're not paying the full amount. You're only paying two thirds of the amount. Okay? So, and nevertheless, you pay. No, no, no. The case here is, is that before the father died, there was already a court case and it was brought to court and it was said that you have to pay four and five. And therefore, once it was said you have to pay four and five, then it's, uh, that, then there is the payment of four and five and any changes afterwards don't affect the idea that the chiyuv is to pay a full four and five. Okay? So the Gemara says one minute. Right? What would you say if there had not yet been a court case? Then you wouldn't pay because it would not be a full, full the court would not make you liable to pay if it were not the full payment. One minute. At the end of the mission says, that when would the person be exempt if the father died before it was slaughtered? So according to you, that's not the point of distinction. He doesn't have to die before it's slaughtered. He could die later. We can make another distinction, a later distinction. But when is there going to be a payment? When the court made you liable the full four and five. If the father died before the court made him liable, even if he died after the slaughtering, would not be. Because at that stage, it was slaughtered, but there was no Ahmad Bedin. By the time it came to the court, you would not be fully liable. Because, you know, now it's you and the brothers. So, if that's true, that you would not be fully, the court can never make you liable to pay something that's not a full u, full five units, it should have had the scenario that the father died after the slaughtering, before the court case. And then the court would not have made you liable, because you would not be able to pay the full five units. So, I'm going to lay... Hachanami, you know what? You're right. It could have said that it was that the father died before Hamad Abedin. But I need not see Rashi Gadmi Shal Aviv Talkum Achav Achach Meisaviv. Since the beginning had the case that the father died after the slaughtering, Nachas Nasiv Seifa Nami Gadmi Shal Aviv Meisav Achach Tavachum Achar. That in the end it said that the father died before the slaughtering, which is not a good answer because you know because the Seifa it's like it's setting up the case. So it should have said you know if you slaughter it it should have been framed as you stole it. There was Hamad Bedin, and then the father died. You're Chayev, but if the father died before Hamad Bedin, you're Pater. Why did it set it up with being about before after the Shrita? It should have set it up with being before after Hamad Bedin. So it certainly sounds like that in this Mishnah, the fact that you would not pay the full four and five is not, you know, is not going to get you off of paying. So that is how the Gemara concludes. Gemara says, you gotta love this like, twist. So in the end, initially he gave these answers, but they were, they were obviously weak answers. The evidence was obviously pointing to the idea that you would pay even if it wasn't the full four and five. So with Safra the next morning, Amrle, you know what? I thought about it. Chamisha Bakar Machmana Fine, even five half half cattles, okay? Because that fits better with the Mishnah. Because even after the father dies, you know, you would you wouldn't be paying full, and you would still pay. So why wasn't I thinking about that last night? Because I hadn't eaten meat. Obviously, talking about slaughtering meat, okay? So it was during the nine days. You see that? So Rashi says, right? Rashi says it was all a metaphor. Rashi says, "Lo diktakti tamo shel davar." You also tam if you. About it, the taste. Anyway, I wasn't thinking. So, I wasn't paying too much attention. Tozel thinks he was being literal. Tozel says, "Shari betanis have." Yeah, I was fasting. What? I hadn't digested it. Anyway, but you're right. Okay, the Mishnah makes it clear that even if you would be paying partial four, four and five, you know, the, the 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 father had died, and you wouldn't be paying yourself. 
you would still go ahead and pay four and five, even if it would not be the full four and five. But now we have one last question left to answer. Then why does it matter if the father died before the Shrita? Even if he died before the Shrita. So now you're part owner with your brothers in this cow. You're shechting a cow that's two-thirds theirs, so pay them their two-thirds. Okay, but here you become an owner not, you know, not before it becomes before the liability sets in it's not just a question of payment it's a question of liability so that's what the Gemara says what difference does it mean if you become an owner before the payment or you become an owner before the Shechita here's the difference in the beginning case you shechted it it was all not yours it was all the father's so the fact that in the time of the payment you're not going to pay full that doesn't matter the act of liability Ability, it was fully not yours. Says at the end, when the father died before the Shechita, it's not being slaughtered fully in a state of liability. You have a right to slaughter a third of it. So therefore, if you, the act has to be, it's a total act of Gneva. It's totally not your animal when you slaughter it. But then when it comes time to pay, because of admission, because of inheritance, you might not pay the full amount. That doesn't matter. But the liability has to be a full liability. And that's the difference whether the father died before the Shechita or after the Shechita.